This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Good morning. This is Psychology at Work on Resource Center. My name is Audrey Raj. And with me on the show, as always, is organizational psychologist and CEO of OSEC, Hetal Doshi. How are you this morning, Hetal? I'm really good, Audrey. Thanks for having me again. Now, on the show today, uh, we're going to be kicking off a five-part series on succession planning. Now, why was it important for you to touch on succession planning, Hetal, and, and to look at it from an organizational psychology perspective? Yeah, right. So I think the opposite, you know, invert the question, right? What's the opposite of succession planning? It would be regression planning, right? So if you mm. want your company to nosedive, um, then yeah, you definitely wouldn't think about succession planning. If you want your company to consistently succeed and outperform, then you definitely have succession planning in line, right? So I think flip the question and yeah, you would know that also like 86% in, in, part of the research that we did was that we found out that 86% of leaders believe that leadership succession planning is urgent and important and a critical priority, but only 14% of them do it really well. Mm. I think in light of, you know, uh, borders opening up, traveling all over again, the environment has so much of risk in it uh, from a pandemic point of view to a travel point of view to, you know, anything, uh, you name it, people jumping ship from one organization to another organization. Mm. You want to be able to keep your organization alive, succeeding, thriving, you obviously want to think about who's going to be the captain of your ship as you uh, navigate all of these terrains, right? Yeah. Now, you know, just before we get started, maybe we can like define succession planning and what it entails. Yeah, I, I like this definition. It's really, really simple. It's um, it's by Muhammad Saleh, Laliawati, and Rahman twenty seventeen. Succession planning is a systematic process, so it's a it's it's systemized. It's mm. a process of leadership preparation for the future. Um, and uh, it's one that should definitely, uh, you know, build on a diverse set of leaders. So opening it up as much as you can to find the right one for yourself uh, and to fulfill this employment pipeline of sorts. Like, so basically like, you know, all of your emerging leaders that need to come up, the pipeline is ready. And typically the ratio should be one to three, meaning for every critical position that you have in the business or in the corporate level, you would have three potential that are ready to uh, fill up that particular uh, position for you. Right. And are there different types of succession planning? Uh, because you know the different types of organization sizes and you know industries and things like that, but are there different types of succession planning? Yeah, typically it'll be the ones that are unplanned, planned, mm. uh, internally sourced and externally sourced. So the right. ones that are unplanned, unplanned, right, like just randomly happening and also internally sourced, uh, the definition for that is called boomerang. So it's acting, you know, in a, in a space of reactivity and potentially bringing uh, an internal leader or maybe even a previous leader to continue to lead that organization. Uh, one that is unplanned but externally sourced could be uh, what we call that a coup uh, d'etat mm. and that would be basically a uh, stakeholder an external likely to be a stakeholder an external stakeholder maybe board of directors of sorts that forces a particular external person to come in to lead the organization you'd also have like planned ones that are internally resourced uh, they are maybe like non-relay succession where uh, they have to go through lots of different screening and filtration processes to get there, or it could be relay, which is like basically somebody that has already been pre-identified 
Uh, you don't worry too much. They don't have to go through too much of screening. And also then the last one would be planned and externally sourced, which is the outside, uh, outside succession. Um, I've got like an amazing story about outside succession mm. that I think is super cool. If I could share, I think it's one of the coolest stories that I've heard anyway. You know, like um, you would see like these national airlines that are really struggling. I guess Malaysia would also have a national airlines that would could be struggling as well, right? So in Japan, there was a, um, they have the Japan airline, um, which is the national airline company over there, Japanese, Japan Airlines. Mm. They were struggling for a period of time and they, 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 um, they had a nosedive uh, in their revenue with debts of some $28 billion, <laughs> about 100 times of its valuation. Um, its bankruptcy was one of the largest in Japan outside of the financial uh, industries, like one of the worst scenarios. And they were trying to find out who, who would be able to succeed it because they had many successors that they had in the past, but they just somehow were not you know, creating the success that was required and that was demanded in the particular challenge that Japan Airlines was going through. So they looked left and right, up and down, and, you know, like songs, you know, the depth of the oceans all the way to the top of the mountains. <laughs> and literally at the top of the mountains, they find they found a ex, um, you know, a, a retiree who had become an ordained Buddhist monk, uh, 77 years old. They found the guy and they said, yeah, this would be the person who would be the best for our organization because he has decided that, spirituality is part of his life he's not commercially interested and his most you know uh, service for him was all about the nation and when he came back he turned around the organization after almost about 40 years of it going wrong the uh, made it completely profitable all over again so mm. yeah succession planning can be you know it's like finding the right one <laughs> so now Hethel I'm just wondering if this whole process you know preparations for for you know, putting this plan in place, succession planning place, right? Um, is it down to just the C-suite level? Is it this the board of directors? Or is everyone in the organization somewhat involved and, and has a role in succession planning? Yeah, I think the best practice would be that everyone is involved in identifying the best kind of talent to get... Um, who, who you'd want to have as a leader of the organization, whether it's individual. So in some organizations, they do balloting, they do like voting and stuff like that. So individuals like you and I, uh, you know, could be frontliners, for example, who would be balloting and voting for the next leader. I believe some organizations do that, but they may not open it up to everybody. You've got like the department department managers, you've got senior managers. I mean, think about it, right? Like when Sundar Pichai got ultimately became the CEO of the organization. Mm. It was the people around him that voted for him potentially to become the manager and then the senior manager, then the department manager and the HR probably also created those opportunities to get him to ultimately uh, become that butterfly or that CEO of sorts. So I think it is, yeah, it's everyone's role in succession planning. I mean, all the way, all the way from his mom, his, his wife, his uh, I'm speaking, you know, specifically about Sundar Pichai, but if it was a female, then, then their parents, their spouses. So I think everyone has a massive role to play in succession planning, but ultimately the major ones who would make the decision, um, organize the process, organize the dynamics, organize the inclusion of it would be the, um, the current CEO and the board of directors of sorts as well. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so CEOs who are less self-serving and more, 
organizational serving would already figure out that by the time they are CEO for one or two years to, to, to make a very clear conscious mindset that they are uh, disposable um, and to begin to find the next uh, next few candidates for themselves. Okay. It's a very hard thing to do. It's a very hard thing to do. I mean, ask a parent whether they would be happy to relinquish their position to think that they are disposable and find the next best person for them. Because in a way, I think leaders also look at the organization, not rightfully so, but they do sometimes think of their organization as their baby, right? Like as yeah. Their, yeah, that's what's very important for them. Right. Now, you know, you brought up a really good point about, you know, how this person that eventually takes over needs, and in your words earlier, needs to be um, thinking about the organization and not self-serving and things like that. But are there other criteria that's important for this talent, for this this CEO or this leader that's going to be part of the succession planning process? I'm just having a good laugh while you're saying that because I just, <laughs> uh, you know, just before getting on this on this call with you, I... Um, I was listening to a podcast and they said that uh, the number of uh, women leaders that are out there are equal to the number of male John leaders that are out there. So I guess one of the criteria would be that maybe you want to call yourself John, right? (laughs) Uh, That's purely a joke, okay? So criteria for talent talent would be uh, all dependent on the, uh, the context and the requirements of the organization at that point in time. However, Having said that, there are some generic requirements across the board that are always valuable to to have as um, information at the back of of your mind, right? One of it will be their industry experience, not like it is critical. You see that sometimes people move drastically from one industry to another industry, uh, but it can be obviously extremely valuable to have industry experience. A PNL of a similar scale, so you want to be able to understand like what is the revenue growth that they're supposed to be making, and uh, you know for the successor, have they ever been able to create that level of growth, or are they able to play in that scale? You've got also evidence of strong people leadership, like the amount, the the the, the scale of change with regards to being able to deal with people and deal with employees is insane. HR used to be like an operational job. And now it's almost like mothership where you take care of everyone's needs, you make them happy. I mean, like even things like happiness, which used to be like something that you take care of your own for yourself has become like a HR agenda. So evidence of strong people people leadership will be really, really critical. So somebody who I would say definitely does this very organically and naturally because to, uh, we have been part of processes where we had to coach CEOs who are very good at performance, but you know, really lacking in people leadership skills, and they create a whole trail of dead bodies everywhere that they go. And it's not maybe necessarily their fault. Sometimes people go through very traumatic past experiences, as we say, hurt people, hurt other people. But to coach a uh, leader uh, to go from a very high uh, profit oriented, performance oriented, to also someone who's very caring can be very difficult mm. uh, process, others process, uh, a process that is always uh, cynical, uh, a cynical experience from the observers in the organization. Like, okay, la, this person may seem to be changing, but I don't know for how long kind of a thing. So very, very tough. Um, 
Also, okay, so very quickly, maybe without any further elaboration, proven success in relevant, relevant context or what we call a pivot, which is being able to solve a specific problem, like for example, a turnaround in a business, that would be called a pivot or the challenge that the CEO needs to be able to pull off. A breadth of experience across diverse business problems, not just one. Strategic vision, ability to uh, set direction, and a very big one these days is to champion change. Mm. Uh, because change is such a big part of, uh, you know, within a year, people will be talking about change management. You know, next year, massive growth. Next year, massive yeah. growth. You've got financial acumen, ability to work with board and external stakeholders. A big one that's coming up as well is social and reputational capital that is gained across business cycles. So during ups and downs, what is their reputational capital? Uh, or are they like, you know, do they have great reputation in good times and bad reputation in bad times? Um, you've got international experience, you've got, uh, you know, some, your KSAs, which is your knowledge, skills, abilities. Obviously, purpose, uh, aligned purpose, motivation, beliefs, uh, these days, you know, one organization that I was working with, they are actually, I, I, I don't think this is legal, but they are looking at hiring those who have very, very strong physical health and obviously mental health as well. Strong, um, what we say, not know-it-all, but a learn, learning know-it-all kind of a thing or learning it all rather than a knowing it all kind of a person. Political savviness, educational background, which is interesting. We'll cover this. Like, is that really important? Mm. Um, and, and now the biggest thing is a focus on uh, achieving ESG goals, which is the environment mm. sustainability. Yeah. Right. Okay. Um, Hazel, it's time for us to take a quick break uh, for some messages. But when we come back, we'll touch on succession planning done well. Don't go anywhere. Resource Center will be right back with Hazel Doshi, BFM 89.9. Become fabulous millionaires. BFM 89.9. This is Resource Center on Enterprise. My name is Audrey Raj, organizational psychologist and CEO of OSYC. Hethel Doshi is with us today. And this is the first part of a five part series focused on succession planning. Uh, now, Hethel, uh, you know, I've seen firsthand how a lack of of succession planning or even poor succession planning can lead to businesses winding down or even legal battles. And we hear about these stories um, all the time, especially with um, family businesses, you know, trying to pass it on from, you know, the different generations. It, it does exact a heavy toll, right? If you don't plan for this or even if you don't execute it as well as possible, um, definitely. I love how you're saying that we don't plan it well enough. Uh, some don't have any at all. Mm. So some do not have a succession plan or strategy at all. Uh, you're talking about um, SMEs or family-run businesses. Uh, a lot of them think that we, we will live forever, you know. Uh, the same reason why majority of us do not have our wheels written up because we will live forever. That's this illusion of invulnerability. Nothing bad can happen to us. And that is like, you know, that, that ray of optimism that we want to have, but definitely not a ray of practicality like, because, you know, that one big law in life is impermanence, right? It's mm. uh, something that we probably should plan for that things will not last forever. People will not last forever as well. Right. So, yeah. so why do people continue to do this poorly or, or not plan for something like this? You know, what are the barriers to, to succession planning or to effective succession planning? 
Yeah, that's a good question. I think the barrier would be um, like first and foremost, like just we're going to talk a lot about this in in subsequent episodes. But uh, we just define we define uh, succession planning wrongly. We define it as a HR thing, like okay, mm. HR find the next talent. But actually, it's an organizational, aspirational problem. Like, we have an aspiration. We're not able to meet that aspiration. So, therefore, we need the next best person, uh, potentially with newer skills, better skills than the one prior to this, to build on that. Uh, I think also when it comes to defining, another barrier would be poor definition, right? Like, when I ask uh, leaders, we're going to cover a whole topic on pivot, like what? how do you define the problem that you want the person to solve? Remember that it's almost like choosing your partner. You know, mm-hmm. when you choose your partner in marriage, you don't only hope for the moon and the stars and all of that. You want to make sure that the person also keeps you on solid ground. Uh, so yes, we like disruption, but I think we define disruption as something that is going to be radical change, is going to create mayhem, a storm in the best way possible. But you've got to create disruption with a lot of psychological safety as well. Mm. You cannot have one without the other. If you want to have one without the other, uh, you're going to create disruption and disruption equals to destruction before creation. So I think defining what you really want and then prioritizing that is very important. So you want psychological safety first, which is a very boring concept because it's safe or do you want disruption now which one do you really want first do you want uh performance over people like uh yeah so i think a barrier is not necessarily that we do not know what the problem is that needs to be solved or we do not have kpis i think it's the prioritization of it and the weightage of it that we have not really defined uh and it is not measured upon as a success criteria quarter quarter on quarter performance appraisals then become like you know something that we do once in a year we are we aren't really tracking and measuring that person's ability to grow on these very specific dimensions i think we also don't have enough um time and effort so i think i would definitely recommend people looking at your calendars right like how often do you spend as part of your week in identifying good talent and in having these conversations about how they can be better or even taking, you know, ensuring that consequences are there for poor um, succession planning, meaning or leaders who are regressing the organization, right? Mm. So I think I would definitely recommend that, or rather the biggest barrier would be how much of time and effort do you put into it? I actually work with some clients that uh, devote almost 40% of their Uh, leadership meetings on succession planning, which to me is unbelievable because I think if you're talking about talent and how to identify and develop them, I think think you're in a really good space because that's the way that you're thinking about how you want to grow your business. Mm. 40% of your time talking about growth, talking about the next best talent, how to make them grow, how to take consequences for poor big... I mean, that's fantastic. Like 40% of it is on that and 60% is on business. But there's a fast stretch already. Definitely some organizations are investing a lot in it, but um, uh, I, I don't think more than 10% are doing it right. All right. Um, Hito, we are already running out of time, but you know we've been focusing so much on the theories, the how-to and the cost of poor succession planning. Maybe you can we can end the show on a high note and you know maybe you can talk to us about some case studies very quickly of succession planning done well. Sure. I hope that has been a high note. Anyway. <laughs> but, um, 
Uh, yeah, I think I think the gold standard for succession planning has been General Electric. Uh, they've, they've done this ex- extremely well over the past uh, maybe even four decades of sorts. Wow. Um, and uh, the... I, I, uh, not having ever worked with them or not having interviewed them before, uh, purely based on research, I think one of the biggest uh, uh, core aspects of succession planning in General Electric is this word called participation. So the more you are participating in the organization, uh, the more likely you are going to be somebody who succeeds in the organization as well. So participation in the organization is really important. What that means is that basically like you really know the company, you love the company, you take part in things, you champion things as well. Uh, and you also bring other people on board as well. Now, what they have done really well is that they've actually uh, created a uh, succession planning, uh, uh, both system as well as a process. Uh, to institutionalize institutionalize this development. Now, what happens as part of this institutionalization, the core of it is that all leaders, every single leader, creates modules and development programs rather than having external sources or HR to create the development plans, which means that they need to be a leader who is a reader, who understands how and why other organizations thrive. And then they create their own modules and they create their own development pathway as well. So in other words, they become an author, they become a module or content developer themselves, a philosopher, they take people through these journeys. And um, yeah, so a core part of uh, what a leader needs to be doing is to um, create their own philosophy and their own ideas about how to train people. And these leaders then within the organization or general electric, they kind of, collaborate with each other and create something even better. So all of the content is built in-house by leaders and also facilitated by leaders and taken on a journey as well. So you're not relying on external parties. Whereas in most organizations, I think that would be an external facilitator. Uh, and what GE does is they do it internally or at least co-partner, so co-facilitate. You're not outsourcing this. You are actually, um, it's almost like I don't want to use this word, but it's almost like parenting and how you're making a decision about how you're bringing up your children of sorts as well. You could have external people that you're supporting, but you're not outsourcing and just dumping your kids into a school uh, that apparently is very good. So yeah, the massive thing over here is participation and um, internal uh, um, leveraging on internal resources to to be able to do this as well. So I think yeah, GE has done that uh, uh, exceptionally well. I think also another organization don't want to mention organization, this organization, but this is a consulting company. And what they do is, what they've done really well is that instead of selecting their own CEOs, they have done balloting processes. The balloting processes would start all the way from frontliners all the way, all the way up to uh, uh, min- the N minus one team. So N minus one is not allowed to select. Everybody else would select who they want to select based on the reputational experience that they've had with that person. And only then, if that person actually comes up, uh, then the senior leadership team will decide who would be the next best person. But even then, it would be a balloting process. It's not one person that makes the decision. And um, the idea around this is that you actually want to prevent, in this organization, you want to prevent leaders who actually put up their hands. You do not want leaders who want to be a leader. You want leaders who are nominated. Uh, by other people as saying, you're a great leader. Right, right. That's an interesting one. 
Sounds right. different from our government bodies, I guess. <laughs> Very different. All right. Uh, on that note, uh, thank you, Hazel, as usual, for taking the time to share these insights with us. Uh, episode two or part two of our series on succession planning is happening same time next month, the first Tuesday of June, uh, where we will be focusing on CEO myths and selection biases. You want to give um, uh, everyone listening a bit of a teaser on what we'll be covering in episode two? Yeah, I think it's going to be really exciting to realize how as human beings, we make so much of so many mistakes in uh, deciding who's the next best partner in our lives. Uh, and in this case, the next best uh, CEO, so who's the right person for us and how do we make sure that we're making the best decision without being biased about it. Nice. Okay, so that's happening on the first Tuesday of June. Once again, uh, thank you, Hetel, for taking the time to speak with us. I've been speaking with organizational psychologist and CEO of OSAIC, Hetel Doshi. My name is Audrey Raj, and this has been Resource Center on Enterprise BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.